You know, we're a digital advertising-based business, and so when lots of people come to our site, we make the money that sustains us. So when the president calls on people to boycott a major local business, well, to quote Hamilton, how lucky we are to be alive right now. (laughs) We will mull that story in a big way and the very strong reaction to it on this episode of This Week in the CLE the podcast discussion of the news by the people who bring it to you. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with my colleagues, Chris Bernowski and Jane Cahoon. You guys ready for a lively discussion on our president? Of course. (laughs) Well, let's get going. Why is President Trump calling for a boycott of Akron-based Goodyear, an American manufacturer of tires? Jane Cahoon, I just these <laughs> stories just drop out of the sky and light up our our charts. So so let's go through first what he's doing, and then we'll get into the reaction. And Chris Wernaski, I hope you will join in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm. A, we'll, uh, we'll twist. Be. We'll twist his arm. <laughs> <laughs> So the president apparently saw a TV report that originated in Topeka, Kansas, that that really set him off. It said that Goodyear was prohibiting employees from wearing MAGA hats and other political attire, but it was allowing them to wear messages promoting racial justice like Black Lives Matter. So he did what he usually does. He picked up his phone and and sent out a tweet urging his millions of followers to to boycott Goodyear and and you know, buy their tires somewhere else. So now Goodyear did say it makes the distinction between advocating for racial justice and supporting a political campaign, which is out of bounds. But all right, but but, but let's stop right there, because that is really preposterous. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, look, we don't want a workforce where people are going at each other's throats. And so we don't want political stuff on people's clothes. But but to say that Black Lives Matter and other issues are okay, but MAGA, Blue Lives Matter, not that is that is a tough hair to split. So when I read their response, I thought, okay, you know, you're you're pushing it, but still, but still. the result is the president of America calling for people to boycott a major American. Auto parts manufacturer boggles the mind, right? Right. And and predictably, it generated all kinds of outrage among uh, Democrats. And uh, Joe Biden even weighed in on it. But but Ohio Democrats like Sherrod Brown called it despicable. Tim Ryan, Amelia Sykes, who both represent the Akron area, they they weighed in. And per, perhaps the strongest reaction was from the city of Akron's Twitter account, Mayor Dan Horgan's account, which said, first, you came to destroy American decency. Next, you came to destroy American institutions. Now you're coming to destroy the American economy and heartland jobs. Lucky, Luckily, you seem to fail at everything you do. So and, was, and it had a LeBron James yes, f- wagging his finger. <laughs> right, right, I left that out. That was that was good. And as I said, you know that was that was uh, pretty predictable when Trump, you know, was viciously attacking a, a an American based manufacturer. But I found it really interesting the reaction, uh, if you want to call it that, among Ohio Republicans, most of whom like really danced around this, or yeah, they, Rob Portman or they made went a into really high. strong statement. Right? <laughs> they, nobody <laughs> could bring themselves to directly criticize Trump or Goodyear for for that matter. They mm-hmm. they just issued these statements like, you know, we support 
manufacturing and we believe in the first <laughs> amendment and that was about it mike dewine well, said, well. Uh, on a radio show that he believed trump wouldn't do it again and then you know a couple hours later of course trump doubled down on on the whole thing yeah i was surprised that trump doubled down one it sounded like dewine had talked to the white house and they were realizing this was stupid you're gonna lose votes in ohio but but to double down when when you got blowback, it was a it seemed like a foolish thing to do. This this is not going to help Donald Trump win Ohio votes. Yeah, the, the place <laughs> you know. I wanted to be was uh, like if I had to be a fly on the wall anywhere when this happened, I wanted to be a fly on the wall in whatever room Mike DeWine was in when he realized <laughs> that today during his coronavirus briefing. Somebody's going to ask him about it, and he, again, is going to have to find a way to be diplomatic about what the president says about something, because we've seen for the past five months him completely avoid any criticism of the president in order, as as he call, as he says, to, you know, I have to work with the federal government, and it's not productive to do this, and ever the diplomat, but here he is. Really, I mean, this is a very, very typical thing of Donald Trump, which is... You know, you give him a lot of line and he he continues to just bite you back every time he bites, bites, bites. And and I, I just we'll see what well, I mean, because, you know, it's going to come up. You, you know, it's going to come up today. Right. But what's the damage for Mike DeWine or God forbid, Rob Portman to say, you know, the president shouldn't be calling for a boycott of a major American manufacturer? What's the damage that they're actually going to suffer for by, for standing up? for a long-term manufacturing well, employer that provides a lot of jobs. The, the fear is that the, that the president will turn on you. And, and, and we've seen throughout the coronavirus, I mean, it's been reported in numerous places that he, you know, slowed the aid to cities that were run by democratic governors. I mean, this is a, this is a president who goes after his enemies and and doesn't necessarily govern for the entire country. I mean, so you're this, entire, you're this entire controversy is about him. It's about but you're an saying that then him. that cowardice is OK, that cowardice. I'm afraid he's going to come after me. So I won't do the right thing. I think because it's the right I think, thing. No, I, of course, it's the right thing to 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 push back on stuff like this. But governors and politicians and, and people who have to actually you know, do stuff for their constituents, like people who actually want to be productive and people who actually want to get things done have to work with this mope and getting into a Twitter argument with him or having him attack you doesn't lead to anything productive. All it does is lead to stories like we're talking about right now. I mean, this is the most the his Trump's limo has Goodyear tires on it. So, <laughs> so like, what are we talking about here? So where's the line? Where's the line when Mike DeWine or again, God forbid, Rob Portman would actually stand up and say, the president is wrong and he shouldn't do it. They're what not going to do it because, I mean, look. There was one look, instance when DeWine said he didn't agree with something Trump said, and now it's escaping me what, what that was. But there, there was one instance that I can think of. And I should note here that one of the only Republicans to semi-directly address this was Congressman Anthony Gonzalez, who said that he thought that quote unquote, the cancel culture was wrong no matter who was doing it. And he said the whole controversy silly. We have more important things to do. And he did criticize Goodyear's policy. He is. But, you know, he has a spine. He's mm -hmm. he's shown some stuff the past two years. And, 
you know, it's good, it's good to see a politician stand up for something in Ohio. Uh, so we'll have to, to see where it goes. Anyway, what what a strange story. And I wonder if the call for the boycott has any effect at all or if, you know, Democrats buy more Goodyear tires and Republicans buy less. We'll have to see what this means for the bottom line of Goodyear. It's this week in the CLE. Why is the retirement of former mafia fighter and longtime RTA police chief John Joyce a bit controversial? Chris Warneski, we talked about John Joyce a few weeks ago because of his role in a Netflix documentary and taking down the the mob families in in the 1980s. So it's kind of odd that we're talking about him so soon again. What's the latest? Right. So the what they say the the world comes at you fast. Uh, John Joyce, uh, longtime uh, police chief for the Greater Cleveland Regional Transit Authority, announced that he's retiring at the end of this month while he's facing accusations by uh, made by a black officer of uh, racial discrimination and harassment. The officer uh, named uh, Orlando Hudson, who is now the acting commander of the RTA police department, said in a lawsuit uh, filed in March that Joyce, uh, who is white, uh, retaliated against Hudson and Hudson family family members who also serve on the RTA force. Uh, The suit says that uh, Hudson was passed over for promotions uh, and instead uh, those promotions went to white officers with less experience. Uh, Joyce apparently tried to correct or conceal, uh, his, uh, past treatment of black officers by attempting to retroactively discipline white officers. Um, I, I mean, there's a whole host of allegations from this lawsuit that, that Courtney Astolfi, uh, wrote about yesterday, uh, including that, uh, Joyce apparently ridiculed and mistreated Hudson and other minority police officers. Uh, and that he refused to interact with Hudson about transit police matters, cutting him out of major decisions, including the relocation of the fair enforcement unit that Hudson oversaw. Uh, I mean, it's there's a lot a- of allegations in here. Um, so and apparently some of them are credible because RTA did investigate some of this stuff and take action with him a couple of years ago, right? Right. So the investigation conducted for RTA by the Tucker Ellis law firm could not conclude whether the harassment of Hudson was racially motivated, but the law firm did find uh, that Joyce did engage in what it called discriminatory practices by disproportionately disciplining black officers for firearm safety issues and that he violated RTA policy by harassing Hudson. So, you know, the, the the way that the RTA sort of tried to correct this was they placed Joyce on what they called a, a performance improvement plan. Uh, Joyce appealed the findings and wrote lengthy memos, including uh, in his personal file that uh, that say the investigation was one-sided and biased and failed to include interviews uh, with witnesses or or a review of corroborating records and evidence. So, I mean, this will be an interesting in what lawsuit to watch. Um, you know, Joyce is out and Hudson is still still works there. His attorney uh, told Cleveland.com that he was promoted from lieutenant to acting commander once Joyce announced his retirement. Um, so, you know. And of course, Joyce says his retirement has nothing to do with the right. controversy. Right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. The good news keeps on coming on the coronavirus front in Ohio. What's the latest reason for optimism, Jane Cahoon? Rich Exner has provided us with some new data. 
analyses. Right. On, on Wednesday, we had our fourth straight day of having fewer than a thousand new cases. Uh, but, but a longer term trend that bodes well is that on 17 out of the last 19 days, the, the number of cases reported has been lower than the 21 day average. So that really looks like we're, we're going in the right direction. The, you know, of course, in, in some rural counties, they're not going in the right direction. But overall, because the population centers are in urban areas, which have largely started to get this under control, it's looking pretty good uh, statewide. Right, right. Those areas uh, that had the mask mandate earlier, the urban areas that were seeing the spikes, they those appear to be on the downward trend, whereas Unfortunately, the the spread is faster in the rural areas now. Now, based on a study that came out (laughs) yesterday, I bet this changes. There was a study that came out that shows that kids are just walking bags of virus. That the, <laughs> They tested a bunch of kids and they had more virus in their airways than adults who were in the hospital for coronavirus. And we're about to get all those kids in many parts of Ohio together where they can share oh, what's in their airways. And I have a feeling that sometime in late September, early October, we might see those trends reverse. We'll have to see. It's a frightening study about just what vectors children's are. What it, the study said, the reason we thought kids didn't get it in the beginning, because they don't get sick with it, they carry it. And because we only tested people who were sick, we were just presuming kids are immune. Uh, so we'll have to see if the good news continues. It's this week in the CLE. What's the good news for people who have quickly come to see downtown Heinen's grocery store as a beloved institution? Chris Ranowski, we all saw the pictures of how damaged Heinen's was in the May 30th riot, but things are might be looking up? Yeah, I had no idea they were still closed, to be honest. I mean, that's how little we go downtown now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the store and the downtown Cleveland Alliance announced that um, while they don't have a firm date that it would open sometime, reopen this sometime this fall, if people don't recall, uh, during the May 30th protests, uh, uh, a handful of people sort of peeled away from the peaceful part of the protest and started kind of breaking windows and looting. And, and there was about, I, I, something like $6 million worth of damage, uh, to the physical pro or about $3 million in damage to like physical property and about $3 million in lost revenue, which is, has sort of been projected by the downtown Cleveland Alliance. But Heinen said, you know, the, the store, which they opened back in 2015, in the old Cleveland Trust building at Euclid Avenue, um, they said they're going to to reopen in the fall, and they said they're going to maybe revisit the design of the store while they're closed, and 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 you know maybe see what offerings they they might change and and what they might add or what they might take away. Um, but you know the store really what did become kind of a a very popular lunch destination for the downtown working crowd. Uh, and, you know, kind of a lifeline for the people who choose to live downtown. So I'm sure, you know, the, the people who are, are going to work down there and the people who live down there are pretty excited to hear that the store's coming back. Even though they're suddenly in them. Did you really just say a handful of people did the rioting? <laughs> that, that's a bit underestimated. No, I, I mean, like, like out of a thousand, out of thousands of people who are down there, I think it would, I think comparatively it wasn't like the majority well, of people i don't i don't no, know they, no. it, it was even like it was would you say hundreds of people were rioting 
I would say more than five, which right. is what I think a handful is. Maybe you have small hands. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the um, the pictures out of there were kind of heartbreaking. I mean, that's a they, they, Heinen's did a nice thing. They, they, you know, I don't know that they've ever made money in that store because they they invested for the long term. Um, and when you saw the aisles where things were just smashed mm-hmm. and pulled down, I mean, it, w- it was a heartbreaker. The the problem is, is I, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised they're reopening because the idea of having a lot of people downtown is not guaranteed. I mean, they, they, there are a whole lot of people that may never work downtown again. And the number of people that live down there might not be enough to support a grocery store. So salute Tom Heinen for for making the investment in the downtown future. Have you been in there? I mean, the store, it's, it's I think what the challenge I think would be during the virus is that it is, it is a very narrow store on the grocery yeah. side. So, yeah. you know, I think maybe when they talk about, you know, revisiting the, the the layout and the format of it, I think it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, it may not be the most comfortable place to be in the middle of a pandemic. So we'll see. Yeah, good point. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. I want to welcome columnist Layla Tassi to the podcast as a special guest. Welcome, Layla. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay. On the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in the United States, has the inherent promise of equality contained in that century-old decision been fulfilled? Layla, you did a reflection on this uh, last weekend that, that resulted in a good bit of uh, discussion. Uh, what, what was your general point in the piece you wrote? Well, I, I just felt kind of cynical in reflecting upon it. You know, 100 years is a long time. You'd expect a lot of progress in, in a century. And, you know, while the feminist movement has clearly helped women gain access to education and the workplace, we're still woefully underrepresented in government. Women make up only about a quarter of U.S. Congress members and state legislators and statewide elected executive officials. But we're half the population and half the labor force and the majority of those holding college degrees. <laughs> and, and we're also the majority of frontline workers and essential workers during the pandemic, which has put women most at risk of contracting COVID. But simultaneously, women are more likely than ma- men to bear the brunt of childcare and homeschooling during the pandemic and even sacrificing their careers to do it. And it's well documented that when women take time away from their careers, rejoining the workforce is so difficult, and it usually means cuts in pay and status. And that's at a time when women are still only making 79 cents for every dollar that her male counterparts make. So add to that the fact that we currently have the most misogynistic president in modern history, and it's really hard not to feel cynical as a woman about the significance of this centennial. Okay, so... so so I asked you to write this column, and unlike other subjects that I call you to ask you about, I said right up front, I'm not going to even presume to to <laughs> offer you thoughts on how to do this. I'm not a woman. You're the woman. You're raising three daughters. You know, have at it. And you did very high up uh, say something about President Trump that, of course, it's the red flag in front of the bull for some of the far right readers we have. Uh, and so you and I, but I think you got more got some very vicious personal attacks as a result of this. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, one one woman who, you know, I, I've uh, it, it upset me. One woman, because it was a woman, she wrote to me and told me that I must have slept with someone to get my column on the front page. She then went on to 
completely denigrate my accomplishments and said that they pale in comparison to her career as an engineer. And she said she feels sorry for my daughters and that she raised two sons to be just like her. Great. And, uh, you know, I got an email from a man who told me I should focus on raising my kids rather than my career, just the way his wife did. And, you know, so things like that. And lots of emails that began with, you know, listen here, young lady, and lots of people angry that I dared to criticize Donald Trump, who I refer to in the column as an exemplar of sexism and misogyny. So, and what, I, and what how, when I wrote back to people that said that, I responded that that you are in a position as a 40-year-old mother of three daughters reflecting on where we stand. It's perfectly justified for you to point out the misogyny that's come out with Donald Trump. What was interesting is you predicted after you wrote the column before it published that there would be women that tear you down. And you said this is kind of a this happens fairly regularly that women tear other women down instead of celebrating their success. And then you got that one that really did upset you. You got to get a thicker skin here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, talk a little bit about that. I think uh, Jane and Chris have some thoughts on that too, about how instead of celebrating the successes of other women, it's almost like if one woman gets ahead, it, it eats up all the spots for success. And so it's a little bit cutthroat. I, yeah, that's exactly it. I think that, you know, women who do manage to kind of climb the ladder in their respective field, it often ends up being that they feel that there is, you know, there there is a chip on the shoulder of of people who who kind of ascend in that way that, you know, I worked hard, I had to overcome these barriers. And I'll be damned if it's easier for you. You know, that happens so often you know, so often women come up against that when they, when they're also trying to, I mean, there's, there isn't as much of the, the sense that, that women at the top are reaching down to pull, to pull along, you know, the, the, the women who are coming up beneath them. And, um, and I just think that that, you know, that, that's the tone that I got from, from that one woman was, was that, you know, we're not in the same field, but just that, you know, how did you get your voice front and center? You know, that that was how it came across to me. And Jane, I don't know if you if you feel that same way in general about, you know, society. But, you know, that that's that's just always been my feeling, you know, is is it's, you know, I have not- seen that. And and first of all, it's it's ugly and it's upsetting. And the fact that you you're a columnist, it's your job to express your opinion and you do it so well. Plus, there were ample facts in there to back up what you were saying. But beyond that, um, I do have to say that that while that was ugly, I have seen a lot of examples of women supporting women and a lot of women support me in my career. And I hope I can do the same, but it's not, I wouldn't want to suggest that, you know, women are just, you know, all jealous of each other or something. Oh, I no, think of course there not. are plenty of examples of, of women. And in fact, you know, Jane, I was just telling Chris yesterday that, you know, I had a bad experience in my early 20s working in an kind of an all women environment that was supposed to be a feminist environment. (laughs) And, um, 
And it really wasn't until I worked under you, Jane, that it my that it changed my entire oh. idea about women bosses and women in positions of authority. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You have made my day. You have really made my day. But um, could I jump in here with something just in the context of our presidential campaign and, and women? Because we have a uh, female vice presidential candidate in in Kamala Harris. And, you know, she has already been the subject of, you know, gender and race-based attacks. But one thing that, that really upsets me is that she no sooner was announced as Joe Biden's running mate than our president, Layla, the one you described as a misogynist, um, almost immediately labeled her as nasty, which is a word that just I really hate it just makes my my skin crawl because it it doesn't just mean that it's somebody being rude or mean but it's got these additional connotations about a woman you know it can also mean like dirty or even promiscuous and you know Trump has used that term to describe several other black women and it it's really demeaning and so I just wonder what else is in store here during this campaign. I'm just kind of cringing, waiting for the next thing. I uh, I do want to point out there were some of the criticism we got for that column was that it was on the front page saying that's no place for opinion. And as I've responded to many people, we have a long tradition in the Plain Dealer of running opinion on the front page on major events. The 100th anniversary of suffrage in a time of Me Too and a time of this president is one of those moments. And that's why we're going to put it out there. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is the burgeoning first energy bribery scandal in Columbus evidence of how broken Ohio has become? Layla, a week before you did a great column on the 100th anniversary of suffrage, you did a wonderful takeout on how the Larry Householder first energy bribery scheme is the latest, strongest evidence for how screwed up this state is. And actually, it sounds like you had a lot of people who agreed with you. Can you give a brief rundown of why you're laying out the state is so broken and what you heard from people about it? So the day after the householder indictments, we, we were all having this team conversation about what the case really says about Ohio's political system. Because, you know, corruption, like what team householder is accused of, doesn't just materialize out of thin air, right? It's the manifestation of deeper dysfunction in state politics. So, you know, when you really think about it, the state's kind of a mess. You know, the last round of gerrymandering left us with this Republican supermajority in state government, even though half of Ohioans vote for Democrats. We know that. And that's really the backdrop of so many of our problems. You know, the lopsided influence of, of rural Republicans who act as these overlords of urban centers. You know, I only really scratched the surface of that in my column. Um, you know, how many times have lawmakers from from rural Ohio undermined cities' home rule authority in on issues that from gun control to residency restrictions for city employees to programs that that require contractors on city construction projects to hire locally. But there are more examples. Payday lending is another one that comes to mind. And then there's the problem with agricultural runoff and the annual toxic algal bloom in Lake Erie. We know that phosphorus fertilizers feed that toxic algae and it poisons water supplies and ruins recreation on the lake. And you know, but because these rural Republicans can't stand up to the powerful agricultural trade groups, taxpayers, instead of the farmers, are footing the bill to protect their water supply. And then there's this, this state's history of voter suppression and 
that playbook, you know, has voter roll purges and attempts at requiring IDs at the polls. And, and there's currently, you know, a bill that's under consideration that shortens the absentee ballot request deadline by four days and would prohibit the governor or any future public official from setting any kind of election day. Plan okay, 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 okay. So well, you made your point. And I can't tell you how excited I am that you use the word overlords because that's the word that we should always use when we describe <laughs> that situation. So, so I was surprised. I thought we'd get blowback on this from people saying, oh, you, you lefty nut job. But you didn't. You got a lot of people. Oh, I saying, got a little of that. Yeah, well, we're always getting a little bit of that. But, but, but you got a lot of support, right? Yeah, I did. I did. I got a lot of uh, a, a lot. Of, I heard from from people who were just really appreciative that we took the time to lay this out the way we did. You know, this is I, I felt like part of what I wanted to do was to make it accessible and to kind of break it down and, and, and show how one thing kind of flows to the next. You know, gerrymandering really is the backdrop for so many of these other problems. And And, you know, hopefully we will see a change in that. You know, there's been the change to the constitutional amendment in Ohio that will show some have some parity in how and how that shakes out after this next census. But yeah, no, I got a lot of positive feedback on this one. Is, um, this is Chris Wernowski. <laughs> were, were you surprised by the feedback? Yeah, you know, because obviously, you know, when you take this position, it, it's critical of, of the Republican supermajority. It kind of, you know, throws a lot of the, the corruption issue on on the fact that we, you know, have a, a lopsided government in that way, mm-hmm. but I didn't hear so much from from folks who were offended by that. It was, yeah. What, what's fascinating? I, I'm from Illinois originally, which you know, two of the six governors that have been there in my lifetime went to federal prison. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting because like nobody would ever accuse me of being right wing for in in any no, way. Like I, I don't I, know. right. <laughs> but what's heartening about what you're saying is that you know we live in a very Republican state right now. And, and, and that there are people out there who understand that, that you can support a political party, but still be critical of how they do their work. You know, I mean, part of, right, right. You know, part of Illinois history is deep political corruption. And, you know, just because I make my, my values and my ideas might align with a particular political party. It doesn't mean, I mean, part of being a journalist is being able to look beyond what you feel and be objective and say like, yeah, you know, you may be, you know, state Senator Barack Obama, but what, what is this, you know, and, and, and why are you doing this? And, and, you know, it's, it, you're right. It's heartening to see that, 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 you know, people can still, still view government in a critical way even though they may still, you know, feel like they still support that political party. But, but Chris, we don't really live in a heavily Republican state. True. We live in a state where the we politics gerrymandered state are. But, but Jane, you'll right, be right. you'll be you'll be glad to hear part of the research Layla did on this column. She went back and read Rich Exner's uh, all of the the work he did on the project about gerrymandering that a lot of people credit with the the move to to change it, and just was blown away anew by how effectively rich demonstrated. Absolutely. If any listeners haven't, haven't read through that project, everyone should go back and and take a look. Definitely. Amazing work on that. What do we call that, Jane? What was the name of that? Uh, Layla, do you remember what it was called? Something about lines, Uh, right? uh, Yeah. Outside the lines or out of line. Out of line. line. That's what it was. Right. Right. It was a good title. 
Yeah. Anyway, it was uh, good stuff. It was a good column, Layla. Uh, I'm glad you Thanks. could join us. It's this week in the CLE. Oh, it's been this is a good discussion day, guys. It's always fun on a Thursday when the news comes up and you can't you can't beat starting with Donald Trump calling for a boycott of one of your major manufacturers and the blowback <laughs> you get. I hope we I hope we always have headlines that like that for uh for discussion. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jane. Thanks yeah, to everybody great. who listens to this week in the CLE. We will be back on Friday with a wrap up episode. <laughs> <laughs>